Thank you for listening to a sermon from the District Church. For more information about us, please visit www.thedistrict.church. Additionally, if any of our sermons have brought encouragement to you, would you please let us know by emailing us at info at Amen. Well, good morning, everyone. How are we? Good, good. All right, this time we're going to dismiss uh, two classrooms, so kids three to five uh, will head out, and also kids six to seven. Six to seven will head out as well, so they will get out. All right, if you get your Bibles, go ahead and open them up. James chapter 2 is where we're going to be today, James two fourteen through 26. And my hope for us today is to understand this. This is kind of the big idea. My hope for us today is to understand that faith alone saves you. Faith alone saves you, but a faith that is alone does not. Faith alone saves you, but a faith that is alone does not. And so this topic that we're looking at today, uh, really just the relationship between faith and works, is a topic that has been in discussion and debate for, honestly, the last 2,000 years. I mean, for the fact that it's even in our passage today means that it's been around uh, since at least 45 AD when this book was written. And so this is, this is an ongoing debate. This is an ongoing struggle, if you will, uh, of within the Christian faith, what it looks like to merge together these ideas of being saved by faith alone, but also being saved by uh, works, what we do, what we attribute to it or contribute to our faith. And so we're going to be looking at this. It also hit its real pinnacle in or during the 16th century um, when there was this big split between Catholicism and Protestantism. Um, and that's where you had the, the, the launch of the Protestant, Refo- Rever- <laughs> Protestant Reformation uh, in 1517. And so this is a debate that, again, has been going on for a long time. So it rarely ever uh, ruffles any feathers, and so I know at the end of this, we'll be able to walk away and be like, man, that was just so good and just so, uh, so easy to understand, but at the same time, I know that um, this can be a hard topic. It can be a hard topic for a lot of us, regardless of what uh, camp or, or church background that you come from. It, it's a difficult one for us when we look at it, and so here's just kind of a, a couple of probing questions that I want to throw out there that I'm hoping that we're able to answer as we walk through this, as the Spirit is just leading us um, in understanding as we open up His Word. But here's a couple of questions. One is, are we saved by faith alone? Are we saved by faith alone? Another question is, are we saved by a combination of faith and works? And then also another question is, once saved, then how do works play out in our life? Do they complete our salvation or do they accompany our salvation? And so those are kind of some of the ideas that we're going to be looking at as we walk through this. And so James 2, I'm going to read our passage for us. You're going to see the big idea as it walks through this passage. And in some ways, uh, you, you might think this passage contradicts maybe other passages that you know in Scripture, or at least provide some confusion regarding some other passages in Scripture, and maybe even what you believe. And so uh, we're going to look at this and then, and then dive into it. Starting off in verse 14, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace and be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, 
if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. So, if you've been a part of our church for any amount of time, and you're reading this, and you're reading this passage for just surface level face value, you're going to read that and you're going to think, that does not sound like what we've preached. That sounds like it's in contradiction. That sounds like it's a little confusing compared to what we've heard taught, when faith alone is what saves you. And that there's nothing that you contribute. That there's nothing that you can do. There's no works that can be done in order for you to add that or uh, contribute that to your salvation to where then God would look at you and say, well done, that good and faithful servant. You are saved because not only do you believe in Jesus, but you also did everything that I want you to do. And because you married both of those two things together, you are now saved. If you're reading this at face value, that's what comes across, is that there needs to be this combination of believing in Jesus as well as works, as well as doing the right things, as well as looking at over the last chapter that we've been talking about, the things that James is pointing out. Hey, don't just be hearers of the word, but be doers of the word. Like, don't just forget what you need to do. You need to have a lifestyle that is matching up with the faith that you speak. I mean, James is, is nailing this home, and, and, and it feels like when he comes to this passage, it feels like he goes too far. It feels like he goes too far to where I would have, if I'm in this scenario or this situation in first century, I'm waiting for Paul to write a letter to James correcting him. That's what I would be thinking if I'm reading this at face value. And so because it does feel like it contradicts some of what Paul says, I want to also read what Paul says regarding this idea of justification and whether or not it comes by faith alone or if also works are attributed to it. And so going with the same train of thought, here's what the Apostle Paul has to say about this. Galatians 2, 15 through 16. He says, We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. 
He also says in Romans 3.28. So it's not just written to the church in Galatia, but he's also writing to the churches in Rome. And he says this, For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. So if you're just skimming through the scriptures and you read these passages side by side at face value, it's completely understandable for someone to be confused and believe that James and Paul are contradicting themselves. That they're contradicting themselves. And if that is true, then it actually runs the greater risk that Scripture itself is contradicting itself. And if Scripture is contradicting itself, and we believe that Scripture is the inspired Word of God, then that means God is contradicting Himself. And if God is contradicting Himself, then God ceases to be God. So getting this right and interpreting it right matters. It really, really matters. And so this is, this is just a very serious topic for us today because it matters on, on the implications that you hold when it comes to what the role of faith in your life does and what the role of works in your life does. Because if you land somewhere that ultimately is not what the Scripture is teaching, then not only does it determine what your justification looks like, it determines what your uh, ongoing growth looks like, it, it ultimately determines what you're putting trust in rather than who you are putting trust in. So it's important. Martin Luther, again, the guy who started the Protestant Reformation, puts it this way. The issue of justification, which is... Faith and works, how they work out in our salvation. The issue of justification determines whether the church stands or whether the church fails. That's a, that's a bold statement coming from Martin Luther. John Calvin also says justification is the principle of the whole doctrine of salvation and the foundation of all religion. He's saying like how you decide or how you determine or define justification lays the groundwork for how you're basically going to live out your life and whether or not you actually know Jesus or not. That's kind of what he's saying there. Like it's laying the foundation. Getting justification right will either glorify you or to glorify God. You got to get it right. You got to get it right. And so the three things I want to show you today Three points from this passage, and this is kind of working in both just our, our theology of justification as well as eventually getting to the process of how God saves you that includes both faith and works, but categorizes them correctly. Puts them in the places of what God is doing, what God is doing. And so the first thing, looking at this idea of justification and defining it, Justification is what God does for you. All right, that's number one. Justification is what God does for you. And here's what we believe about justification. Justification is just putting our cards out on the table. Justification is by grace alone. You are justified. And what it means to be justified is if God is the judge and you're the person who's trying to plead your case of why you should not have the death penalty because of your sins. God is the judge, you're the sinner, you're in the courtroom, you're on trial. Justification is God looking at Christ's work on the cross, paying your death penalty, and then looking at you by trusting in Jesus, saying you are declared pardoned. 
That's what the justification is doing. You are now in good, right standing with God. You are declared pardoned. Free to go. That's justification. And so it's by grace. God gifts that to you. There's there's nothing that you did in order to earn that. The only thing you brought into the courtroom is your sin that put you there in the first place. God did everything else in order to justify you, in order to save you. It's not my own doing. It's a gift received, and I just trust in Jesus so that when I stand before God the Father, whether I die or He comes back before I die or whatever that looks like, whenever we are standing before God in judgment, my answer is simply going to be Jesus. Uh, The only reason why I'm here and I get to come into heaven is is because of Jesus. That's it. And the reason why we believe that is because of what 2 Corinthians 5.21 says. For our sake, He, God, made Him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin. So think about this for a minute, because this is so important for us. God, as Creator, can do what He pleases. He can change anything He wants to change. What God does as creator is he takes Jesus, his son, his perfect son, who is holy and righteous and has never sinned. He takes Jesus and he literally transforms Jesus into your sin on the cross. He he doesn't just take your sin and place it on Jesus for Jesus to carry it. He transforms Jesus to represent your sin so that... So that Jesus can literally say, I became sin. I became your identity. Your identity. Martin Luther calls this the great exchange. Jesus, who is perfect and righteous, becomes imperfect and unrighteous by taking our place, our identity. And God did that supernatural work on the cross. That's what God did in Jesus. So much so that God turns his face away. Cannot be in relationship with a sinner. So Jesus is there. He, God literally imputes, imparts our unrighteousness, our sinful identities to Jesus, and Jesus becomes our sin. So that in him, Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. So the great exchange, God gives Jesus our sin and God gives us his righteousness. God grants us his righteousness, imputes it to us, imparts it to us, literally just does a supernatural work of transforming us. And it was because of nothing that we did. The great exchange, that's what God did. That's what God is doing in you through the work of justification. This would be like Josh starting a business And Josh is incredibly successful at this business. In the first year, he earns a million dollars. All right, good job, Josh. You're awesome. But then we also have Ransford, who starts a business. And Ransford just, I mean, is terrible at it. And goes into all kinds of debt and and has to file for bankruptcy and is just, just swimming in the debt of his mistakes. And then Dwayne, having compassion, looks at the situation and says, man, you know what? I, I love Ransford so much that, Josh, I'm going to take all of Ransford's debt that he is swimming up to, and I'm going to 
make you the sole proprietor of that. And I'm going to deposit it into your account. And, and, and that million dollars that you've earned, that, that you're, you, you did every possible business deal perfectly, I'm going to take that from you. And I'm going to give it to Ransford. So that now Ransford, even though he didn't do anything to earn it, is considered a millionaire now. That's what God, now that's a terrible illustration, but that's what God has done for us when he has taken our debt of sin and has given it to Jesus who did not earn that debt of sin, but was willing to receive it and become it in order for that righteousness that he earned because he never sinned, give it to us who didn't do anything to earn it. That's what God is doing for us through the idea of justification. This was not our doing. We, we can't stand before God and say, at any moment, I, I paid you back for the sin that I committed. No, you, you did not pay him back. Well, I lived a good life. No, Jesus lived a good life. Well, I have some righteousness through my good morality or my political affiliation or my own worldview or my good deeds. No, there, there's no one good, Romans 3 says. No one good, no one righteous, no one who seeks God. There's... You can't find any goodness in you as a sinner. You just can't. And that's the only two categories that God sees people in is either righteous or unrighteous, perfect or imperfect. And throughout the entire history of our Bible and the history of our world, there's only been one righteous person who's been perfect, and that person is Jesus. That's it. Therefore, everyone else is swimming in the dead of their sin. And they need a great exchange. And so that's what justification is. That's the doctrine of justification. Your relationship with God is secure through faith in. It's just trusting in who Jesus is. Believing in Jesus. That he is who he says he is. That he did what he said he did. Believing him and as a gift receiving him. By grace alone through faith in him. Trusting in him. Believing in him. So that's the first point. That leads to the second point which is the doctrine of regeneration. The doctrine of regeneration. This is building the case towards how works come into play. Regeneration is then, as God justifies you, what He does for you, He then regenerates you, and that's the work He does in you. In you. Regeneration is what God does in you. And we need to know this as we are building, again, this case for the relationship. You need to know these so that we don't get tripped up when it comes to these seemingly contradictory passages in the Bible. So here's what regeneration means. In Christianity, to be regenerated simply means to be reborn. To be reborn. And, and, and if you don't have a church background, you might say that sounds really weird. All right? Like I've I've been born. Like, how do, how do I be reborn? And there were even guys in the Bible who had the same questions. Listen to this interaction between uh, Jesus and Nicodemus, who was a Pharisee and a teacher of the law. And this is in John chapter 3, verses 3 through 6. This is what he says. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. 
That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. And so Nicodemus here, a Bible teacher, asked Jesus, what do I need to know for salvation? What do I need to know? And Jesus answers him, you need to be reborn. You need to be born again. Nicodemus not really, you know, getting the subtlety of the metaphor here is just kind of like, I don't know if my mom's going to be okay with that. Like, I'm a grown man. I'm not crawling back up in there. Like, I, it's just going to be awkward. And he's getting at this, and then Jesus just kind of lays it out. No, no, no. You were born physically, but you also need to be born spiritually. You were born physically, but you also need to be born spiritually. Paul echoes this metaphor in Ephesians 2 and also in Colossians 2 when he says, people who are not Christians are physically alive, but spiritually dead. They're physically alive. They've been born of water, essentially, born of flesh, but they're spiritually dead. They've not been born of the Spirit of God yet. The Christian is someone who is physically alive and also spiritually alive. They are born again and they experience a new birth. This new birth is what causes, as the Bible teaches us, the new heart. The new heart, your new desires, your new appetite, your new affections, your new worship. It's what gives you the heart to be able to live out the Christian life. Because before you, when you were physically alive but spiritually dead, you did not want to pray to God. You did not want to serve God. You did not want to study God's Word and meditate on it and just breathe it in and, and, and just uh, have all of it in your mind and know it in order to abide in Christ. You didn't want to do any of those things. It wasn't until you were reborn as a Christian and God gives you a new heart to where then that new heart gives you these new desires. I now want to serve God. I now want to pray to God and communicate with Him. I now want to be able to serve and look around and see the needs around me because of what God has done for me. I want to be able to go and do that for others. It's this new heart that He gives us and the Bible teaches this all throughout. We see this in, in the Old Testament where the Bible is teaching this idea of justification and also regeneration. We see this in Jeremiah and Ezekiel. Listen to Jeremiah 24-7 says this. This is God speaking. I will give them a heart. Who's, who's giving the heart here? God is. Who's receiving it? We are. All right, who, who's the active agent of salvation? God is. Who's the recipient? Passive, active, or, or passive participation here is us. So we're receiving this. I will give them a heart to know that I am the Lord. Now, how do we know that God is who God is? It's because He's given us the ability to know that. He's given us a new heart. And they shall be my people, and I will be their God, for they shall return to me with their whole heart. Can they return to me without the new heart that I give them? No. But when I give them a new heart, they will know that I am the Lord. They will know that I am their shepherd. They will then return to me. They will come to me. They will now be able to repent and turn and come and trust and believe and, and follow me as I command them. We see this in Ezekiel 36, 26 through 27 as well. He says this, And I will give you a new heart. God, again, to his people, I will give you a new heart. And a new spirit I will put within you. Regeneration. The God's work in us. 
And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you. This is, this is so good, such good news for us. The heart that he's giving us is the heart that's causing you to obey him. You don't have to muster it up. It's causing you. It's giving you new affections, new desires. I want to pray. He commands me to pray. He gives me a new heart. That new heart now makes me want to pray to him. Guess what? I'm going to pray to him. I'm going to read his word. I'm going to study. I'm going to do those things. Are we going to stumble through it? Yes. Are there going to be days when we choose not to? Of course. But he gives us this new heart that is the deepest level of desire for us. That in that moment, when we really get serious with our own lives and ask the question, what do I really want out of life? The Christian whom God has given a new heart and a new desire is going to be one that when they ask that question, they say, I want to please God. I want to worship God. I want to be for Jesus. I want to serve Jesus. I want to love Jesus. I want to read about Jesus. I want to do anything I can for Jesus. That's what that heart is going to spring out of you. Cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Because we're sinners, man, we have a hard heart. A heart that is, is of stone is the metaphor here. That type of heart is rebellious and obstinate and foolish and disobedient and self-righteous and proud and arrogant and it's separated from God. Separated from God. But Jesus takes out the heart of stone and puts in a heart of flesh. You're now seeing the same thing that happens in the great exchange of justification. He takes your sins and gives you his righteousness. He's now also taking in regeneration. He's taking your heart of stone and giving you a heart of flesh. Giving you a new spiritually alive heart that is bent towards Jesus, not away from Jesus. That's what God's doing in us. And that's what the idea of regeneration is. And this leads to the third point. Which is that good works are what God does through us. Good works. And so as you build this case, justification, you're saved by grace alone through faith alone. Nothing you can do. Paul's preaching that throughout all of his gospel letters. Old Testament is preaching that throughout all of its words. Like you are not saved by anything that you do. You're saved by faith alone. Jesus. Faith, just believing in Jesus. It's all Jesus. And as you are saved, he then takes out that heart of stone and gives you a heart of flesh. That new heart that he gives you is, is now this new identity that you have. This spirit that is wanting to do the work that God is now doing through you. Which is good works. And here's how we're going to read this out. With those things in mind, James is now throwing out some just questions for these Jewish Christians and if you are able to kind of think through the, the the same scriptures that we've covered over the last few weeks don't just be hearers of the word be doers of the word what he's dealing with are Christians or potentially Christians who are saying they're Christian but don't have lives that match up they're saying they are 
connected to Jesus in the vine, but their branches are not bearing fruit. And so what James is getting at here is he's starting to ask these questions. If someone says he has faith, and that faith is genuine, they've been justified and they've been regenerated and they have the new heart, can they not have works? He's saying that that doesn't work. Those don't go hand in hand. You can't receive a new heart and then not love Jesus and not be changed by Jesus and not pursue Him and not love and pursue those around you with the good news of Jesus and not help out the widows and the orphans, as he says in James, and not be able to look to your neighbors who have needs and just say, as we used to say in the South, I'll pray for you. Is that enough? When you have the means and the resources to answer the prayer, you're about to pray. That's what he's getting at here, is, is you, you cannot, as a Christian, say, I met Jesus and nothing happened. I met Jesus and nothing changed. That's what James is getting at here. Can that faith save him? Well, if it's not genuine and it's not proving he is saved by the works now that he is committing and doing and walking in, then maybe it's actually revealing that the faith is not genuine and that the faith is not real. And so what James is getting at here is he's creating a couple more categories for us. There are the obvious categories of those who are like, I am anti-Jesus, I don't love Jesus, I don't want anything to do with the church, I, I, and I don't care if you call me a sinner and you put me in that category, I want nothing to do with it. Okay, well, by your own confession, you are, in according to our categories of the Bible, you're a sinner, and you're separated from God, you have a heart of stone. That's just, you've categorized yourself, you put yourself there. I think that person is easier, in all honesty, to share the good news with. I think what James is pulling out here is to me, being now in 15, 16 years of full-time ministry, I think what James is getting at is the hardest work of evangelism is sharing it with those who think they're saved, but they're not. And honestly, this is what we dealt with a lot in the South, but... I see the same similarities here in the Midwest. I really do. I see here in the Midwest what, what James, is, if you were to put it in two categories, spoken faith versus genuine faith. Spoken faith versus genuine faith. Yeah, I, you, what you can essentially say over here is run the, run the phrases. Now, I, was, I was baptized when I was six years old. My family went to church, so I went to church. Um... You know, I kind of I'm connected to this church here and there. I I am for Jesus. I have nothing against Jesus. I'm a Christian, and so they're kind of the CEO Christians, where they go on Christmas and Easter, and and those are the only times that they go. They they might go on Mother's Day to please their mother, or you know, it's just along those lines of like. I'll go and, and sort of tolerate it because I don't have anything against it. 
I'm a Christian. I was born into this thing. No, like you're not born into Christianity. Which is why Jesus is telling them you need to be reborn. You need to be born again. You're born. The only thing you're born into is sin. That's total depravity. That's because Adam sinned. We've all sinned. Because it passes down from one human to another. And so unless you in this room were born or birthed outside of your mother and your father enjoying each other. And I know there's other ways too, but you're still born by two humans that were sinners. And they contributed their sin to you and you're born sinful. That's just the way it is. That's why Romans 3 says what it says. There's no one who's righteous. No one can earn it. And even if you tried, let's say you're, you're I'm going to go this law route. Yeah, I'm going to go with the, the over 600 laws in the Old Testament that God gave to the people that these laws are the standard of righteousness. And I'm just going to start checking them off the box. And, and by the time I'm maybe 73 years old, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to perfect it. Well, congratulations. You've got 72 years of imperfection that is still dealing with your account. That you're going to have to speak for when you're standing before him in judgment. What James is saying here is that you can't just be a spoken Christian and say, I am a believer, if there is not also proof that follows. Proof that follows. I mean, Jesus says this, echoes this. And actually, I'll, I'll start with Paul and then I'll finish with Jesus because I think that's a good order. Paul says this in Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. For by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not your own doing. I just really want you to just nail that home in your mind. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. It's a gift. You received it. Not a result of works. So that no one may boast. No one can say, I earned this. I did this. I'm awesome. God saved me because He saw me as the best possible option to join His team of Christianity in order to get this good news out. I was the first one picked on the kickball team. God's not, that's not how He operates. He goes to the least of these, the most vulnerable, the most sinful, and He saves them and just snatches them out of the domain of darkness and transfers them to the kingdom of the beloved Son. That's Colossians 1. That's what He does. So that no one may boast. The right posture of Christian is humility. It's humility. Because we didn't do anything to, to earn this or receive this. We just trust Jesus. We're all Jesus. Verse 10. For we are now His workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus. And what that means to be created in Christ Jesus is that you are justified, declared pardoned, and that you are then made new, created in Christ Jesus, reborn in the Spirit of God, created in Him, saved for good works. There's where they come in. For good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Walk in them. So you can't say, I've been saved through faith. It was not my own doing. It's the gift of God. Not a result of works so that no one may boast. And then I did nothing. That's not Christianity. 
It's not. Jesus puts it this way. John 15, verse 8, and this is in the, I mean, one of the, I know it's all the inspired word of God, but this is one of my favorite passages throughout the Bible. The great abiding scriptures of what it means to be in Jesus and have Jesus in us and to be connected to Jesus and to have him love you and you love him and what's all working out in that. Verse 8 of John 15 says this, By this, this abiding, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit. And in that bearing fruit, what does it do? So prove to be my disciples. It's not a proving in an earning or keeping the faith. Because that, that would be the same thing. If works, if you have to do works in order to earn salvation, if once you receive salvation, you're also doing works to keep your salvation, to earn it, it's still the same thing. That, that's, that's honestly, that's a, that's a Roman Catholic belief. That's why we have the Protestant Reformation. Was because there was this belief that yes, you were justified by God, but you also have to have works and as long as you keep doing those works and the penances and the contributions and the Hail Marys and all these things, as long as you do all those things, then you will stay in good standing. And that's not the relationship of works. The relationship of works is because you are a new creation and you are saved by God, you are going to prove that you are saved by God simply by the fact that in this new heart, you're going to bear fruit. You're going to bear fruit. And that fruit is going to be in step with the Spirit of God. It's going to be in step with the Spirit of God. You can't say, I'm a Christian and not live like Jesus. James's big idea here is just saying that's impossible. And as he even said, that's foolish. That's foolish. All right, and now he's starting to sound like Paul. Oh, you foolish Galatians. Oh, now he's saying, you foolish ones, whoever is within the Jewish Christians that have been dispersed, as James is writing to, he's saying, there's some of you who have mixed into the crowd who are foolish, which is another way of the Bible saying are evil ones. You don't know Jesus if you are not having a genuine faith that is accompanied by works that prove that you actually are saved. It can't just be spoken faith. It must be genuine faith. And so the last question I have for you guys as we close it out here. What are some good works that we as Christians should walk in? What are some good works that we as Christians should walk in? Because if, if we're kind of using works as the um, gauge for whether or not we have genuine faith, then what are those works? And I'm going to let you discuss those with your community group this week. We're not going to talk about them today. That's why it's so important to be a part of a community group. Is because as we preach and proclaim the good news of Jesus, the accountability of us walking in step is fleshed out in community. It's fleshed out in community. It's being able to go to one another and be able to say, Hey, I see you out of step with the Spirit. And I just want to gently, as James pointed out last week, 
of being able to go to one another and to extend mercy and to be able to share truth with one another, but doing it in a gentle way. So it's fleshed out in community. It's fleshed out in encouraging and edifying and and stoking the flame of the fire of the Spirit of God in your life as we see you walking in step with the Spirit, as we see you walking out and proving to be a disciple of His. We we want to encourage that and fan that into flame and just tell people, man, I saw Jesus in you and I saw Jesus work through you this week in the way that you loved this person, in the way that you served this person, in the way that you worshipped Jesus this week. And we encourage that. We edify that. We're all about that. And so justification is the work that God does for you. Regeneration is the work that God does in you. He gives you that new heart. And good works is the work that God does through you. Through you. Because of those first two points. It's by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, that we are here today. And it's also in Christ alone that we are his workmanship, created in him to do good works, that he has prepared beforehand for us to walk in them. So let's just meditate on that. Let's work on that. Let's do some of that. If there's inconsistencies in your life where you're like, oh no, am I just a spoken faith? Because I don't, I don't see fruits. Ask someone. Ask someone. Like, do you you see Jesus working in my life? Because sometimes maybe we just don't see it. Maybe we're kind of like the navel gazers walking around like, woe is me because all I see is my sin. But at the same time, like if you're truly in Christ and you have a new heart, that new heart is going to desire and want to walk in step with the Spirit. And it's going to bear fruit. It's going to bear fruit. But if you are in here and you're right now like, you know what? I just know. I just know that I don't have a heart that wants Jesus. I've just spoken it with my mouth for however long. And today, the offer on the table is simply this. It's to be justified. It's to see Jesus as the only righteous person who has exchanged your sin for his righteousness. And today, you have the opportunity just to trust that. Believe that. And ask for God to give you a new heart that receives salvation and declares you pardoned. That's salvation. There's no, uh, like, believer's prayer. There's no, like, if, if it was all based on me literally just reciting for you a prayer and you repeating it and that saving you, then we're witches, It's just you knowing who Jesus is, trusting and believing in Him and who He is, and Him forgiving you and giving you a new heart. Repent of whatever sins are in your life. Confess those things to Him. God, I'm a sinner. And I'm in need of your Son, Jesus. Will you save me? Will you save me? If that's an opportunity for you to do that today, I'm going to go ahead and invite the band up here.
before we jump into communion here in a moment. But this is an opportunity for you just to do that right now in your own mind, your own heart, is just to pray to God. I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. Will you save me? Will you forgive me? And that's it. You believe Him. And you'll start to see your affections shift and change and be more in love with Jesus than you are anything in this world. Anything in this world. And this also brings me to communion. Communion is Jesus taking all of his work and it comes to a climax at the cross. When we talk about that great exchange, we're talking about Jesus being born of a virgin. He's the only one born unlike the rest of us. Supernatural work of the Holy Spirit putting a baby in Mary. And Jesus was then born without the seed of sin that you and I were born in because of an earthly father. Jesus born without sin. Jesus then lives out. Remember that 73-year-old guy, I want to get to earning righteousness? Jesus, from the point of birth, does everything in the law perfectly. Perfectly. So that he's declared he's righteous. He's the only righteous one. And his work is not going around boasting about the fact that he's righteous and that he's awesome and that he's perfect. He actually tells people, stop telling people about me right now. Like the time's not here yet. He humbles himself to the point of knowing that he has to get that righteousness to us. But the only way to get his righteousness to us is by going to the sin and taking our sin and placing it on him. Going to the cross. And what we celebrate in communion is that work of Jesus. You are saved by works. You're saved by Jesus' work, not yours. And his work culminated at the cross when he laid his life down for you. And he took, his, uh, he took the, the, the death penalty due sin and he took it upon himself. And God the Father, looking at Jesus, poured out his anger and his wrath that was towards you, poured it out on Jesus and crushed him and put him to death so that that anger and that wrath that God has towards sinners can be absolved. And now all that's left when Jesus gives you his righteousness is love and grace and lavishing and inheritance and co-heirs with Jesus, and just eternal life with God the Father, without any sin, without any pain, without any anxiety, without any of those things. That's the great exchange. And that's what we celebrate in communion, is we remember the fact that he broke his body and he shed his blood. So that he could swap our places. And then invite us into the family. That's what we're celebrating. And this fuels us as we remember that that, that. that makes that new heart in you flutter. I mean, it makes it give you butterflies. I'm all about God. I'm all about Jesus. I'm all, I'm thank, you, thank you for what you did for me. And that fuels us for the work that he has prepared beforehand for us to walk in this week. This week. So let's go ahead and stand. If you do not have the elements, I want you to go ahead and go back to the table and grab them. We'll come back and we will partake together as we remember the work of Jesus. Thank you for listening to a sermon from the District Church.
For more information about us, please visit www.thedistrict.church. Additionally, if any of our sermons have brought encouragement to you, would you please let us know by emailing us at info at